0: They say America is dead,
1: but there's a lot of people
2: lying. Former FBI director James Comey recently said the Republican Party needs to be quote burned down or changed. unquote. They want a one party state, commented conservative filmmaker Dinish. Souza in a recent podcast, quote, that is not to say they don't want an opposition. They want a token opposition. They want Republicans where they get to say what kind of Republican is OK, unquote. Just as Marx blamed the ills of the world on capitalists and Hitler on the Jews, the current regime tends to blame various permutations on white supremacy. Expel the Republican members of Congress who incited the white supremists' attempted coup, said Representative Cory Bush, Democrat of Missouri, in a recent tweet garnering some 300,000 likes she was referring to the republican lawmakers who raised objections on the january 6th to election results in arizona and pennsylvania their objections were voted down Quote, "can us spy agencies stop white terror" Unquote. the daily beast's jeff stein asked in a recent headline concluding that a call for the secret police to sniff out extremist Americans may well get renewed attention. By a show of hands, how many people knew that in the United States of America we have a secret police? Under the regime, allegations of election fraud... De facto, questioning the legitimacy of the leader, have been incitement of terrorism. YouTube, which is owned by Google, Facebook, and Twitter have either banned content that claims the election was rigged or are furnishing it with warning labels. Twitter's chief executive, Jack Dorsey, was recently recorded as saying that banning the president's account was just the beginning. The approach closely mirrors that of the Chinese Communist regime, which commonly targets dissidents for subverting the state or spreading rumors. So what's the alternative? If calls for radically reorganizing the world are inherently totalitarian, how is the world to avoid them? The question appears to be its own answer. If totalitarianism inherently requires allegiance to its ideology, it cannot exist in a society with a lack of such allegiance. The United States was founded on the idea that individual rights are God-given and unalienable. The idea, rooted in traditional beliefs, that human morality is of divine origin stands a bulwark against any attempt to assail people's rights, even for their own good. Quote, if you're not a believer, in actual God, you can posit a God's ideal on the matter. We have to posit some arbiter who's above and beyond our own prejudices and biases in order to ensure these kinds of rights. Because otherwise, you have this infinitely malleable situation in which people with power and coercive potential can eliminate and rationalize the elimination of rights willy-nilly, a man named Rechtenwald said. Welcome, everyone, to Around the Campfire with Kate, where truth is told to listeners that have ears to hear. Pay attention, because tonight... We get to learn the history of our national anthem. I talk about the news events and history repeating itself. This is a live call-in show, so if you would like to call in and give your opinion or just make a statement, you can call in using Skype through PSN TV or through public streaming.
0: lawyer once, his name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song. And they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a 1,000 yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day, in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, Men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, Tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, You'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, We have a slight problem. He said, We will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. They said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered and you'll now be under British rule Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen and they said how many ships he said hundreds the ships got closer Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said men I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch as twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset suddenly the British war fleet unleashed he says the sound was deafening there were so many guns that there were no reliefs he said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear he said suddenly the sky although dark was suddenly lit and he says from down below all he could hear the men the prisoners saying was tell us where the flag is what have they done with the flag Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling, every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb, and Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key said, he remembered what George Washington had said. He said, the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying the prayer God keep that flag flying where we last saw it the sunrise came he said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land but the rampart was tall enough there stood the flag completely nondescript in shreds the flag pulled itself was at it a crazy angle But the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when hit had fallen, but men, fathers, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it walked over and held it up humanly until they died their bodies were removed and others took their place Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were Patriots' bodies. He penned the song, O say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star spangled banner yet fly and wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave? The debt was demanded, the price it was paid.
1: Oh, say, can you see by the We watched. Him. We're so gallantly screaming. And.
2: History is almost wiped from our memories, because history is almost wiped from the school books, because history is being rewritten, and now history is repeating itself. The Biden administration has placed a freeze on implementing a Department of Health and human services regulatory rule put in place under President Donald Trump that requires community health centers to charge low income patients the acquisition price for insulin and epipins. HHS signed off on the rule in December shortly before former President Donald Trump left office. Its aim is to lower patients' out-of-pocket costs by forcing community clinics to pass on their 340B drug discounts, said the Modern Healthcare on Thursday. Health centers that did not comply with the rule would be blocked from receiving federal grant funds. And on December 30th, the HHS of the General Counsel released an advisory legal opinion concluding the rule could be implemented. In their news release, they said that the 340B program requires drug manufacturers in exchange for coverage of drugs under Medicaid to offer substantial discounts to covered entities, which includes safety net hospitals, community health centers, and other institutions that serve vulnerable populations. Then, HHS Secretary Alex Azar said at the time, President Trump has been steadfastly devoted to lowering drug prices for American patients, and that includes ensuring that drug companies are offering the discounts they are legally required to give to providers that serve the vulnerable. In a July news release announcing the proposed change in response to a Trump executive order, HHS said the rule would increase access to life-saving insulin and epinephrine for the patients who face especially high costs among the 28 million patients who visit federally qualified health centers every year, and over 6 million of them are uninsured. The Health and Human Services rule was slated to take effect Friday, but has been delayed, pending a review by the Biden administration until March 22nd. As reported by the Modern Healthcare. The pause in implementing the drug pricing discount to patients is part of a larger regulatory freeze issued by White House Chief of Staff Ron Klein on Wednesday, Joe Biden's first day in office. A memo from Klein directed all heads of departments and executive agencies to consider postponing rules' effective dates for at least 60 days. The document did provide for exceptions for emergency situations or other urgent circumstances relating to health, safety, and environmental, financial, or national security matters. President Trump made a priority out of lowering prescription drug prices for Americans, and Biden is taking that away. President Joe Biden slashed thousands of union jobs on his first day in office due to the cancellation of the Keystone XL oil pipeline construction. Immediately after Biden signed the executive order on January 20th, revoking their permit, TC Energy Corp., the company responsible for building the pipeline, announced that they would have to lay off immediately 1,000 workers. The pipeline was supposed to run from Alberta, Canada, to the Texas Gulf Coast and it sparked controversy for building on Native American land. Quote, I believe this will send a concerning signal to infrastructure developers that resonates far beyond our project and will stifle innovation for a practical transition towards sustainable energy, unquote, said the president of the Keystone Pipeline Project, Richard Pryor, in an email on Wednesday, according to Reuters, TC Energy planned for the pipeline, which has long been the subject of controversy, to provide over 10,400 American jobs and over 2,800 Canadian jobs, the KMGH TV reported. The United Association of Union Plumbers and Pipefitters, which endorsed Biden in the 2020 election, expressed their disappointment with Biden's decision. In revoking this permit, the Biden administration has chosen to listen to the voices of fringe activists instead of union members and the American consumer on day one. The General Association, President Mark McManus, said in a statement, let me be very clear, he said, When built with union labor by the men and women of the United States Association, pipelines like Keystone XL remain the safest and most efficient modes of energy transportation in the world. And sadly, the Biden administration has now put thousands of union workers out of work. For the average family, it means energy costs will go up and communities will no longer see the local investments that come with pipeline construction, unquote. And without temporary jobs constructing the pipeline, how many truckers get to keep their permanent jobs? American unions have a long history of supporting the Democrats, but substantial union support helped President Donald Trump win key battleground states in 2016. Biden ultimately won over these same voters in 2020, supposedly, as he campaigned on being a pro-working-class public servant who grew up in Scranton, Ohio. Revoking the permit also created tensions with Canada, where part of the pipeline was already under construction in Alberta. While we welcome the new president's commitment to fight climate change. We are disappointed, but acknowledge the president's decision to fulfill his election campaign promise on Keystone XL, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said. Alberta Premier Jason Kinney was deeply disturbed by Biden's order. The United States is our most important ally and trading partner, he says. As friends and allies, we are deeply disturbed that one of POTUS's first actions was to rescind the presidential permit for Keystone XL pipeline border crossing. That's not how you treat a friend and ally, he tweeted. Free unions seemed to be regretting endorsing Joe Biden after his first day in office. I believe that a lot of us, not me, but a lot of people, have regretted endorsing Joe Biden after his first day in office. Biden revoked the construction permit for the Keystone XL oil pipeline on Wednesday, destroying thousands of union jobs. Leaving the Keystone XL pipeline permit in place would not be consistent with my administration's economic and climate imperatives, Biden said, according to the Associated Press. Keystone XL President Richard Pryor said that a 1,000 unionized jobs would also be eliminated in the next few weeks as it slowly shuts down the construction of the 1,700-mile pipeline. The United Association of Union Plumbers was one group that endorsed Biden last year, saying he would help it win more work with good wages and benefits. This endorsement is about putting U.A. members to work and fighting for fair wages and good benefits. Under a Biden administration, that's exactly what we'll get, said General President Mark, Mark McManus, who is now rescinding his words and wishing he would not have said that. Less than a year later, the union has expressed major disappointment in Biden on his first day in office. In revoking this permit, the Biden administration has chosen to listen to the voices of French activists instead of union members, and the American consumer on day one, McManus repeated in a statement. Sadly, the Biden administration has now put thousands of union workers out of work. For the average American family, it means energy costs will go up and communities will no longer see local investments. Which means they are going to be solely relying on the government to help them. North America's Building Trades Union, which also endorsed Biden last year, said it was deeply disappointed in the decision to revoke the permit. Environmental ideologies have now prevailed, and over a thousand union men and women have been terminated from employment on this project, the NATBU President Sean McGarvey said in a statement. On a historic day that is filled with hope and optimism for so many Americans and people around the world, tens of thousands of workers are now left to wonder what the future holds for them. In the midst of a pandemic that has claimed 400,000 American lives and has wreaked havoc on the economic security and standard of living of tens of millions more, we must all stand in their shoes and acknowledge the uncertainty and anxiety that this government now and its action that it's taking Has caused. The Laborers' International Union of North America proudly endorsed Biden in September. Four months later, the Laborers' International Union of North America called Biden's decision to revoke the construction permit insulting and disappointing. We had hoped the new administration would make a decision based on the facts as they are today not as they were perceived years ago, said the General President, Terry O'Sullivan, in a statement. The Biden administration's decision to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline permit on day one of his presidency is more than insulting and disappointing to thousands of hardworking LIUNA members who would lose good-paying, middle-class, family-supporting jobs. By blocking this 100% union project and pandering to environmental extremists, 1,000 union jobs will immediately vanish and 10,000 additional jobs will be foregone. And that was just on day one. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced that the Senate will receive the House's articles of impeachment against former President Donald Trump on Monday, Triggering the Start of the Impeachment Trial I have spoken to Speaker Pelosi, who informed me that the articles will be delivered to the Senate on Monday, Schumer said on Friday, according to CNN. If the article is delivered on Monday, the Senate trial would begin at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, unless the Senators agree to push the trial back. Senators and the presiding officer would be sworn in at that time, and the arguments would begin on Wednesday. And it is unclear if Chief Justice John Roberts will preside over the trial. He has already made the statement that he does not want to. Sources that CNN did not name said the trial is expected to be shorter than the 2020 impeachment trial, which lasted three weeks. Whether the Senate can hold an impeachment trial for a former president is still up for debate. Senator Tom Cotton argued last week that the Senate lacks constitutional authority to hold the trial because the impeachment process was not created for the Senate to go after a private citizen. The House has passed an article of impeachment against the president, but the Senate, under its rules and precedents, cannot start and conclude a fair trial before the president leaves office next week, the Arkansas Republican said. Under these circumstances, the Senate lacks constitutional authority to conduct impeachment proceedings against a former president. The founders designed the impeachment process as a way to remove office holders from public office, not an inquest against private citizens, added the Arkansas Republican. The Constitution presupposes an office from which an impeached office holder can be removed. But Schumer pushed back on the argument and said that the legal scholars have not set precedents for this yet. The Senate will conduct a trial of impeachment of Donald Trump, Schumer said. It will be a fair trial. It will be a fair trial. But make no mistake, there will be a trial. And when the trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John Trump incited the insurrection against the United States, Schumer said. State Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has proposed delaying the trial until February in order to give Trump's legal team a full and fair process and time to prepare his defense. Senate Republicans are strongly united behind the principle that the institution of the Senate, the Office of the Presidency, and former President Trump himself all deserve a fair and full process that respects his rights and the serious factual, legal, and constitutional questions at stake, McConnell said. Given the unprecedented speed of the House's process, our proposed timeline for the initial phases includes a modest and reasonable amount of additional time for both sides to assemble their arguments before the Senate would begin to hear them. Pushing the timeline forward would mean delaying the confirmation of Biden's cabinet nominees as well as other important American business. We won't be doing any confirmations. We won't be doing any COVID 19 relief. We won't be doing anything else other than impeaching a person who's not even president, Republican Senator John Corn of Texas said. Let me ask this question If Congress can impeach, Donald Trump, after he has already left office, does this mean that we can impeach Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George Bush, if Donald Trump can be impeached, and he is a private citizen now, then I believe all Americans, at least 75 million of us, should stand up and demand for the impeachment of Barack Obama. And if Barack Obama is impeached, does that automatically disqualify Joe Biden as president? On Tuesday, MSNBC Live host Stephanie Rule conceded that if President Trump had an in-person inauguration during the pandemic, the media would have pounced on him. In a rare moment of media self-awareness, Rule told never-Trumper Steve Schmidt, quote, it will be a smaller inauguration ceremony, but they're still having one in person. And let's be honest, you know if President Trump did this, he would be getting crushed by the media for holding a super spreader event. And we would all be saying it, unquote. And none of that mattered to Schmidt. He pompously compared Biden to Abraham Lincoln and Trump to Southern seditionists when he said, well, this continues a tradition, Stephanie. That began in 1797 when John Adams succeeded George Washington and became the second president and power transferred peacefully from the first time in this country's history under a constitutional order. Joe Biden arrives in the capital, a militarized capital, which in the same way Abraham Lincoln did in 1860 under threat of assassination from Southern seditionists, who would soon wage a civil war against the United States of America that would kill 600,000 people by the time it was over? Unquote. Is Schmidt prophesying? Is he claiming that President Trump is a Southern seditionist and that we were all out to assassinate Joe Biden? Really? He needs to get a grip on life. Is he prophesying that there's going to be a Civil War, too? Interesting that he would make those claims. President Biden said that there is a, as little that can be done to affect the course of the coronavirus pandemic in the coming days. Biden made the comments while signing two executive orders that were aimed at combating hunger and financial instability by increasing the value of supplemental nutrition assistance program benefits, helping get stimulus checks to those who haven't received them yet, and establishing a $15 minimum wage and energy paid leave, emergency paid leave for federal employees. Biden argued that these benefits would be necessary considering the toll of the coronavirus could continue for some time. Which I have a question about when he says that. He says there's nothing that we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. And the toll of the coronavirus could continue for some time. When Dr. Anthony Fauci is now saying the coronavirus has plateaued and that it can go, it it could be going away any time now. He says, Biden says, there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months in the opposite of Biden. The total opposite of what Biden said. During his entire campaign, said National Review writer David Harsany, his entire campaign was on, he will take care of the coronavirus. As if, as soon as he is elected president, he can snap his fingers and miraculously, the coronavirus is gone. Conservative commentator Steve Miller wrote, This is a sudden and pretty extraordinary quote from the guy who was pretty much only in office for promising to do exactly that. Former Michigan Representative Justin Amash said that people have been told for months that restrictions and mandates were necessary to change the trajectory of the pandemic. Biden's COVID agenda can be summed up in six words. I mean, are you shocked by this revelation? Joe Biden pretty much says he has no immediate plan to combat the coronavirus. None. It can be summed up in six simple words. There is nothing we can do. Okay, that's not exactly fair. He did say there is nothing we can do for several months. So now we're at cruise control. But that's not what he told America on the campaign trail. He didn't say that we are going to coast for the better part of a year with no plan. He never said that to voters. He did say, quote, I'm going to stop it and Trump is at fault. Unquote. He said, Trump should take responsibility for the coronavirus. And if you elect me, I Will be the COVID killer. All of this said while he doled out talking points that mirror exactly what the Trump administration's plan was with the COVID management. Shock, right? Iran, which was designated as a state sponsor terrorism in 1984, celebrated the inauguration of Joe Biden. Seemingly oblivious to the concept of irony, Iran's President Hassan Rouhani called Donald Trump a stupid terrorist while expressing optimism that Joe Biden would be a friendlier partner to the state sponsor terror. That's from the Western Journal. And in a statement reported by Iranian state media outlet Press TV, Iranian President Hassan Rouhani said that Trump was a stupid terrorist and he said he expected President Biden to erase the black stains of the Trump years. Trump, of course, pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, officially known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or the JPOA. The subsequent actions... Crippled the Iranian economy, and Tehran has been violating that agreement by stockpiling enriched uranium. Even though Rouhani insisted in his statement on Wednesday that the JCPOA is alive, they just don't follow it. Iran also celebrated when the media declared Biden the president-elect back in November. The Iranian newspapers said, quote, Trump is done for. America has a new chapter. The murder of Qasem Soleimani and the agent of maximum pressure was thrown away. America has changed its mask. Populism is rejected. Victory Cup is now in the hands of Joe Biden. These are all headlines in Iran, and Biden supports Iran. How can the president of the United States, who swore an oath to defend the Constitution against enemies, both foreign and domestic, endorse Iran? Not only endorse them, but are in bed with them that in itself should be enough to show the American public that Joe Biden should not be the President of the United States. Trump leaving the Obama administration's nuclear deal wasn't the only reason Iran was celebrating Trump's departure, as Iran is still furious over Trump's strike that killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Rouhani also used the occasion to blast Trump's strike of Iranian Major General Qasem Soleimani, one of the top ranking figures in the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps. The IRCG is listed as a terrorist organization by the State Department, mostly because it's the main organ by which Tehran sponsors international terrorism. As Fribart noted Soleimani is believed to be responsible for hundreds of Americans' death through the years. And Biden is supporting Iran. Donald Trump registered state terrorism on America's official record by opening openly accepting responsibility for the assassination of top Iranian anti-terror commander, Lieutenant General Qasem Soleimani, in a third country, Rouhani said of the strike. He also said, We have never before seen a United States president explicitly announcing that he had assassinated a senior military commander who was a guest in a third country. Rouhani went on to call Trump, as I've stated, a stupid terrorist who violated international law and United States obligations for four years. But Rouhani expressed a small degree of optimism that Iran could improve its relationship with America under a new president. He said, if they, American statesmen, sincerely return to the law and show their honesty in practice. We will also fulfill our own commitments. But it may come as no surprise that Iran feels optimistic with Biden in charge, having played a role in former President Barack Obama's negotiations that led to the nuclear deal to begin with. Biden has signaled signaled openness to rejoining the deal, but Iran has indicated that they may seek even friendlier terms if the United States returns to the the negotiating table. If Biden does return to the table, it will be a major policy shift away from the maximum pressure campaign waged by Trump during the last four years. Not only did Trump pull out of the Obama-crafted deal, He also applied sanctions to the country that severely crippled their economy. The new reality means Biden may have a tougher time getting what he hopes out of negotiations. We can expect the Biden administration to attempt to put negotiations back on the table with Iran, but the main obstacle is that Iran itself may not be willing to negotiate it to be negotiated with, said Ryan Ball, an analyst for risk consulting firm Stratfor. Not only without notable U.S. concessions, which won't be popular even with the Biden presidency, the formation of a totalitarian state is just about complete in America as a most powerful public and private sector actors unify behind the idea that actions to stamp out dissent can be justified, according to several experts on modern totalitarian ideologies. While many have warned about the rise of fascism or socialism in the land of the free, the ideas have largely been vague or fragmented focusing on individual events or actors. Recent events, however, indicate that seemingly unconnected pieces of the oppression puzzle are fitting together to form a comprehensive system, according to Michael Rechtenwald, a retired liberal arts professor at New York University. But many Americans, it appears, have been caught off guard, or they're not even aware of the newly forming regime. As the idea of elected officials, government bureaucrats, large corporations, the establishment academia, think tanks and non-profits, the legal, excuse me, the legacy media, and even seemingly grassroots movements, all working in concert towards some evil purpose, seems preposterous. Is a large portion of the country in on a conspiracy? the reality now emerges that no massive conspiracy was in fact needed, merely an ideological alignment and some informed coordination. Rechtenwald has given that argument. And despite the lack of formal overarching organization, the American socialist regime is needed totalitarian as the root of its ideology requires politically motivated coercion, he told the Epic Times. The power of the regime is not yet absolute, but it's becoming increasingly effective as it erodes the values, checks, and balances against tyranny established by traditional beliefs and enshrined in the American founding. The effects can be seen throughout society. Americans, regardless of their income, demographics, or social stature, are being fired from their jobs. Getting stripped of access to basic services as banking, social media, or having their businesses crippled for voicing political opinions and belonging to a designated political underclass. Access to sources of information unsanctioned by the regime is becoming increasingly difficult. Some figures of power and influence are sketching the next step, labeling larger segments of society as extremists and potential terrorists who need to be deprogrammed. While the onset of the regime appears tied to events of recent years, the presidency of Donald Trump, the Chinese Communist Party virus pandemic, The Capital Intrusion of January 6th, its roots go back decades. Totalitarian regimes are commonly understood as constituting a government headed by a dictator that regiments the economy, censors the media, and quells dissent by force. That is not the case in America, but it's also a misunderstanding of how such regimes function, literature on totalitarianism indicates. It doesn't mean I agree with that. To claim power, the regimes don't initially need to control every aspect of society through government. Adolf Hitler, the leader of the Nationalist Socialist Workers Party in Nazi Germany, used various means to control the economy, including gaining compliance of industry leaders voluntarily through intimidation or through replacing the executives with party loyalties. Similarly, the regime Rearing its head in America relies on corporate executives to implement its agenda voluntarily, but also through intimidation by online brigades of activities and journalists who take initiative to launch negative PR campaigns and boycotts to progress their preferred societal structure. Adolf Hitler initially didn't control the spread of information via government censorship, but rather through his brigades of street thugs, called the brown shirts, who would intimidate and physically prevent his opponents from speaking publicly. The tactic paralyze, parallels the off. Let me start that over. The tactic parallels the often successful efforts to cancel and shut down public speakers by activists and violent actors such as Antifa. Dissenting media in America haven't been silenced by the government directly as of yet, but they are stymied in other ways. In the digital age, media largely rely on reaching and growing their audience through social media and web search engines, which are dominated by Facebook and Google. Both companies have in place mechanisms to crack down on dissenting media. Google gives gives preference in its search results to sources it deems authoritative. Search results indicate the company tends to consider media ideology close to it to be more authoritative. Such media can then produce hit pieces on their competitors, giving Google justification to slash the authoritativeness of the dissenters. Facebook employs third-party fact-checkers who have discretion to label content as false and thus reduce the audience on its platform. Virtually all the fact-checkers focused on American content are ideologically aligned with Facebook. Attempts to set up alternative social media have run into yet even more fundamental obstacles, as demonstrated by Parler, whose mobile app was terminated by Google and Apple while the company was kicked off Amazon's servers. To, To the degree that a totalitarian regime requires a police state, There is no law in America targeting dissenters explicitly. But there are troubling signs of selective, politically motivated enforcement. Signs go back to the IRS's targeting of the Tea Party groups, or the difference in treatment received by former Trump Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, both allegedly lying to investigators, but only one gets prosecuted. The situation may still get worse and the restrictions tied to the CCP virus see broad swaths of ordinary human behavior being considered illegal, opening the door to nearly universal political targeting. I think that means by which a police state is being set up is the demonization of Trump supporters and the likely use of medical passports to institute the effective equivalent of social credit scores. Rockenwald said, while loyalty to the government and to a specific political party plays a major role, it's the allegiance to the ideological root of totalitarianism that gives it its foot soldiers. That's what literature on the subject indicates. The element that holds totalitarianism together as a composite of intellectual elements is the ambition of fundamentally reimagining society. The intent to create a new man, if you will, explained author Richard Shorten in Modernism and Totalitarianism, Rethinking the Intellectual Sources of Nazism and Stalinism from 1945 to the present. Various ideologies have framed the ambition differently based on what they posited as the key to the transformation. Karl Marx, the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, viewed the control of the economy as primary, describing socialism as socialized man, the associated producers rationally regulating their interchange with nature, bringing it under common control instead of being ruled by it as by blind forces of nature. Adolf Hitler leader of the National Socialist Workers' Party of Nazi Germany, viewed race as primary. People would become socialized, that is, transferred and perfected by removing Jews and other supposedly lesser races from society, he claimed. The most dominant among the current ideologies stem from the so-called critical theories where the perfected society is defined by equity, meaning elimination of differences and outcomes for people in demographic categories deemed historically marginalized. The goal is to be achieved by eliminating the ever-present white supremacy, however the ideologues currently define it. While such ideologies commonly prescribe collectivism, calling for national or even international unification behind their agenda, they are elitist and dictatorial in practice as they find mankind never woke enough to follow their agenda voluntarily. In Marx's prophecies, the revolution was supposed to occur simultaneously, yet it never did, leading Vladimir Lenin, the first head of the Soviet Union, to conclude that the revolution will need leadership after all. The idea is that you have some enlightened party who understand the problem of the proletariat better than the proletariat does and and is going to shepherd them through the revolution that they need to have for the greater good, explained James Lindsay, author of Cynical Theories, How Activist Scholarships Made Everything About Race, Gender, and Identity. Elements of this intellectual foundation can be found in ideological. Ideologies of many current political forces from neo-Nazis and ar- anarcho-communists through a progressiveness and to some extent even neoliberals and neoconservatives, Lindsay acknowledged. This is why you see so many people today saying that the only possible answers are a full return to classical liberalism or a complete rejection of liberalism entirely as fatally dis- to create progressivism, neoliberalism, etc., he said. That's not to say these ideologies are openly advocating totalitarianism, but rather they inevitably lead to it. And the roadmap is summarized as follows. One, there's something fundamentally and intolerably wrong with current reality. There's a plan to fix it, requiring a whole society built in. Number three, people oppose the plan, need to be educated about the plan, So they accept it. Come on, folks, we're there. Number four, people who resist the persuasion need to be reeducated, even against their will. Number five, people who won't accept the plan no matter what need to be removed from society. Sound familiar? I think that's the general thrust, Lindsay said. We can make the world the way we want it to be if we all just get on the same page and same project. And it's a disaster, he said. Points four and five of what I just said appears to be in progress right now. The former Facebook executive Alex Stamos recently labeled the widespread questioning of the 2020 election results as violent extremism which social media companies should eradicate the same way they countered online recruitment content from the ISIS terrorist group. The core issue, he said, is that we have given a lot of leeway, both in traditional media and on social media, to people to have a very broad range of political views. And this has led to the emergence of more and more radical alternative media like OAN and Newsmax. Stamos then mused about how to reform Americans who've tuned into the dissenters. How do you bring those people back into the mainstream of fact-based reporting and try to get us all back into the same consensus, into reality that he asked in a CNN interview? And can you? Is that possible? The logic goes as follows. Trump claimed the election was stolen through fraud and other illegalities. That has not been proven in court. So therefore, it must be false. People who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and managed to break inside and disrupt the electoral vote counting did so because they believed the election was stolen. Therefore, anybody who questions the legitimacy of the election results in an extremist and politically are a terrorist. With tens of thousands of troops assembled to guard the inauguration of Joe Biden, Representative Steve Cohen Democrat of Tennessee recently told CNN that all Guard members who voted for Trump belonged to a suspect group that might want to do something, alluding to past leaders of other countries who were killed by their own people. I ended the show last week with Patrick Henry's full speech to Congress on March 23, 1775. I will end tonight's broadcast with the last paragraph of his speech. It is vain, sir, to accentuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they leave? If life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery, forbid it, almighty God, I do not know what course others may take. But for me, give me liberty or give me death. Thank you for joining me around my campfire. Train hard. Train smart. To survive and thrive.
1: But America is dying. I don't see no.